You know, I've got a theory about uh, Easter messages that, that I'm going I'm to test out, you know, on us. Um, it, it was a year ago. I remember being in this room. Uh, none of you were here. It was a small team of us that were doing Easter online. And um, Rob Sweet taught, you know, we, we, we record these things and we do, do them two or three times for the, for, the, for the recording. How many of you watched Rob Sweet, watched Easter online at Fellowship last year? How many of you, how many watched that? Yeah, a number of us. I know not everyone. How many of you remember Rob Sweet's message? One little girl raised her hand last service. You know, she just raised it to raise it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so then I thought, well, I, I, I'm gonna test this out. So Thursday, I went into Rob's office. Rob, by the way, if, you, if you're not, if you're not if you're a member at Fellowship, Rob's our lead pastor and a teaching pastor. I'm Lloyd Shadrach, the, uh, another teaching pastor. So I go in Rob's office, right across from my office. I, go in, I sit down and say, Rob, can you believe it's been a year you know, since the online Easter service, I said, do you remember what you taught? And he's like. <laughs> and I, I kid you not, he goes, I have no idea what I taught. And I, and I said, well, let me tell you. And the only, only reason I knew is I went online and watched part of the message. So I know what he taught last year. I said, Rob, you took this hourglass out and you sat on the table and you talked about the resurrection. You know, he's just dying laughing going, oh my gosh, I don't even remember that. So in light of that, you know, instead of taking hours and hours to write a, a new Easter message, I'm actually gonna give you the Easter message from 2019. It's gonna be new to everyone. No one will even know. Wait, wait, you taught that in 2019? Yeah, actually, just kidding. I will not do that. But my hope is that truly uh, we might break the mold here and a year from now we might remember Easter at Fellowship 2021. And now the reason I, I'm hoping we, we will remember it is because when you boil it all down and it's not, you know, Jesus is risen. I mean, we all, <laughs> that's what the, do you know that's what I'm about to teach on? No, <laughs> so we all know that. No, but we're gonna boil Easter at Fellowship 2021 down to one word, just one word, so that next year, you know, if I say, do you remember, the, if, you can, if you say the one word, then yeah, that's what the message was about. Can you, can you guess what the one word is? <laughs> What's the one word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's just, you know, boy, this is what we're gonna be talking about. And what I wanna do in the next few moments is just take this word and do three things. The first would be to, to, to argue that it could be the, the most important word in any language. The second thing is to say um, that the word itself um, has, really has no meaning. It's, it's, it's really just babble um, if it weren't for the resurrection. That's what gives the word meaning. And then the third thing I'd like to do is simply have you consider making the word your own. Um, to make it your own hallelujah is the most life-changing, heart-transforming decision any human being could ever make. So, can anyone guess how many times we've already said the word? Hallelujah or alleluia, it's, it's the same. 32 times. So, you know, we've been in here 17 minutes. We've already said it 30 
two times. I mean, if we're saying it that much, then you know, you'd go, well, gosh, it's got meaning. But I would say this, most, pe- most people, let's just say if I was interviewing people out in downtown Franklin and when it took them, I said, hey, man, you, you've heard of word hallelujah? Have you heard of the word? Yeah, 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 what is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a religious word. And that's where you'd go. And I think most people would say, that's a Christian word. It's a religious word. Um, would well, you know what it means? And I think many, if not most, would, would, would say something like, well, um, hooray, yippee, you know, or way to go, God. I mean, that's what the word means, you know? And it's like, it's, there's something in that because you'd go, that is, that's partially true, but that's not the whole truth about the word. When we, when we take this word hallelujah and we place it within the context of the biblical story and how the Bible reveals the word to us, I'm telling you, you come up with a whole different category than yippee or hooray or even way to go God. And to the the degree that we don't use it appropriately, uh, I would say we actually misuse it. Uh, Certainly we diminish it. So, First thing, why, why, would I, why would we say this is perhaps the most important word created in any language? Well, let's start with defining it. Hallelujah. It is a compound Hebrew word. The first part of that word is hallel, hallel. It is the Hebrew word for praise. Um, now, you talk about a word that's used throughout the Bible. Can you imagine how many times that, you know, it's 165 times that hallel is used throughout the Bible. It carries uh, this meaning within it, this sense, to brag on, celebrate, to boast, to proclaim the worth and value and beauty of something or someone, to make a show, even to the point of foolishness. The Westminster Catechism, some of us familiar with that, you know, that great question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, in that one statement, we see that, hmm, we were made to praise God. It's the core of, of our existence because we, we, we praise that which we enjoy. We were made to enjoy God and, and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna praise that which we enjoy. Listen to C.S. Lewis on this. He writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until... It is expressed, the expression being the completion of the delight. Wow. You know, our ultimate joy, our, our ultimate enjoyment, the human heart, is only found in the God who created us. We'll go to other things, but there is no joy, there is no enjoyment biblically other than God that will satisfy the human heart. Which brings us to the second part of this word, halal, yah. <laughs> yah is the Hebrew abbreviation for Yahweh. Yahweh, this is the name of God, Yahweh. 
So you put the two words together, Hallel, praise Yahweh, and you'll see it translated in your Bibles, praise the Lord. Now, while Hallel is used 165 times, which I think is a lot, do you know Hallelujah is only used 24 times. That, in all 66 books, it's, it's only used 24 times. And in the New Testament, we only see hallelujah four times, just four. We'll talk about those in a few moments. You know, strangely, or, or better yet, sovereignly, this word hallelujah, it is one of those words when transliterated, it's the same in every language. It's, um, you know, it, it, you talk about it in a certain language and, and it's always the same. So if you were to ask a Russian person, show them this word, what is, you know, what is that? How do you say that in Russian? They would say, hallelujah. If you ask some, you know, it, 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 I don't, there could be some exceptions to this, but it's just all across, almost all across the board. You ask it, you know, in Spanish, you say, how do you, how do you, how do you say this word in Spanish? And they'd say, hallelujah. If, if you were to ask, Someone who's Japanese, how do you say this word? They would say, hareruya. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, I'm joking on that. Listen, I'm joking on that. And let me say this, because I, I don't want y'all to think, I'm not throwing any, but I'm half Japanese, okay? My mom's full-blooded Japanese. And y'all, we would get so tickled, because I, I know her, her English was good, but it's hard to pronounce, just like in any language. And so as kids we would get my mom to say words that she couldn't quite say right. And his kids are just so tickled, mom, you know, it's so sweet. So anyways, I say that in all, uh, in all jest, but that's how we, we, it's always hallelujah in every language. Now, Paul in Ephesians 1 says three times, that all of history and all eternity was purposed that we might be redeemed, restored back to relationship with him, all creation restored back to relationship with him. And in chapter one, he says this particular phrase three times, he says it. To the praise of God's glorious grace. Which tells us that we were made, can I say it this way, for hallelujah. It's, it's, it's what we were wired for and made for. So it makes it, I think, one of the most important words in any language. Hallelujah. Secondly, as important as it is, it is meaningless, it's inert, apart from the resurrection. Hallelujah is a relational word. Um, it's a word for the people of God. It's, it's a word for those who have placed their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Praise the Lord. We are designed, here, here, here's, I'm gonna get to the, the, the heart being resurrection, but we've gotta start in Genesis to say we were designed for relationship with God. Adam and Eve rejected that relationship with God. God said to Adam and Eve, trust me and I will give you life. Trust me and all of life is yours. 
But instead, they trusted themselves. That's what eating of the fruit was about. It was about, no, we're gonna trust ourselves for life. And when I say life, I don't mean like, trust me. God said, trust me and you'll survive. You'll have enough to get by. No, it was trust me and you'll have life, abundant life. Jesus would say, life as it was meant to be. And, and Adam and Eve said, well, I think we're gonna trust ourselves for life the way we want it. And you know, they passed that DNA all the way down to you and I and all of us. We will, on our own, go to anything and everything for life other than God. You know, when you think about that, it's the core of sin. Sin, a lot of times, you know, you just kind of go to sin. And sin is to miss God's holiness. It's anything missing the mark of purity and holiness of God. We tend to think of it as behavior. I mean, you lied, you sinned. You hurt someone, that's sin. Uh, you took something that wasn't yours, that's sin. Well, you know, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, which we were in for 27 weeks. And we noted Jesus said, you know, that it's an internal issue. And so, you know, I hope that I never murder anyone. But Jesus stepped behind that and said, hey, if you have said raka, if you've called someone stupid, if you've said a mean word to someone, if you've, if you've had an evil thought about someone, You've murdered them. And you know, in our flesh, we wanna go, no, 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 he didn't murder. And Jesus says, no, that's the problem. That, your problem's that deep, that it's in your heart. It's not that you have to physically do it. If you think it, it's in your attitude, then you've murdered. Now, if we wanna diminish that, we'll miss the gospel. We gotta go, yeah, that's the problem. I got a massive heart problem. Now, the Bible tells us that that massive problem results in death. The wages of sin is death. When you hear the word death, I don't want you to think end of life. I want you to think separation, separation. So that in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. God said, you'll die if you eat fruit. Well, they died. But they, but they, quote, lived, right? What do you mean they died? Well, they were separated from God. They were separated from themselves. They were separated from the garden. When a person physically dies, their soul, that part of us that lives forever, is separated from their body, their, their, the physical flesh of their body. That's, you're dead. If your soul leaves your body, you're dead. Now, everyone, hear me on this because you'll hear otherwise. Everyone lives forever. Let's, let's just make that clear. Every human being ever born lives forever because the soul lives forever. The question is, when your soul leaves your body, you have two options. One would be to go away from God forever. That's called hell. Or to be welcome to be with God forever. That's called heaven. And, and what determines, like no, no one in the room is gonna escape physical death. But again, I told you, physical death's not the end of life. Physical death, you know, what, you know what death really is for those, you know, the sports junkies in the room? It's like a one-time transfer portal. You know, all the, the, the college football geeks are, are onto that. It's, it's, you know, it's basically you get one chance to transfer. And so when you die, you basically got your transfer and you're going, now are you gonna go apart from God or with God? And the decision depends on what you do with sin. What, what, what do you do with your sin? Because the wages of sin is death. So you, are you gonna pay the wage? Well, if you're gonna pay for your sin, you'll be separated from God forever. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus 
died on the cross for your sin and mine. He was buried, and three days later, he rose. If we stop with Jesus in the grave and no resurrection, then we have a massive, massive problem. It would lead to, you know, there may be more, but I'm just gonna say these two options. One would be if Jesus died and remained in the grave, um, it, it, it could be then that God is not a just and holy God. Because if, if, if an innocent man is condemned to die, then that's not justice. Well, that means God's not holy. He's not true and right in all things. Or if Jesus dies and remains in the grave, then okay, well then the, op- the second option would be that Jesus did have sin of his own. Because if Jesus did have his own sin to pay the wage for, then he's still paying it. He'd have to still pay it. And you say, well, when, does it, when is it over? It's never over. It's a sin against an eternal God and it's eternal punishment. And, and so Jesus remains in the grave. So if it's those two things, we've, we've got a massive problem. And Paul speaks about it in that you know, kind of familiar passage in 1 Corinthians about uh, the resurrection. It's kind of that classic Easter passage. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. If Christ is still paying for his sin, you all, then you and I will, will go and pay for ours forever. But then that amazing, wonderful statement. If in, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Y'all, Christ's resurrection from death is God the Father's proclamation that his wrath against sin has been satisfied. The the theological term is satiated. It's, It's been satisfied. And therefore, Jesus, having bore the the penalty of separation from the father, which he did in his death, having no sin of his own, death cannot hold him, cannot hold him. He's an innocent man. And he bursts forth from the grave to proclaim to all who would trust him, trust that what I did, I did for you then death will have no hold on you either. Death as in separation from God forever. Which takes us to the third thing I said I wanna say about hallelujah. And that is making this word personal to you, getting your own hallelujah is the most life-giving and life-changing decision any human being can ever make. Y'all, anyone on the planet can hallel. And every, I think all of us at some point, hallel, I gotta be careful how I say that, you know, it'd, be, it'd sound weird if I said it a different way. Hallel. Give them hallel, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, so anyone, all of us hallel, praise, it, you know, 
I don't know who you're pulling for last night, but my guess is there were a lot of hallels at the end of that game for some, maybe not for others. But you know, your team wins. You get a gift you weren't expecting. The news on your doctor's report is good news. You know, you can hallel. But hallelujah is grounded in the eternal purposes and plans of God. And, and therefore, to, to hallelujah, it's not about winning, getting what you want. It's not, even, it's not even an awareness of beauty. It is about recognizing, to hallelujah is to recognize that God is God. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, has made a way for us to be back into relationship with God again through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son. Hallelujah. See, the true hallelujah is not just a proclamation. The true hallelujah is is fundamentally a, a proclamation and a surrender to the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And today may be online in this room it may be, you know, it may be an Easter Sunday, 2021, that you get your hallelujah in this sense, that you come to that place where you put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is truly as simple as turning to God to say, I trust that what Jesus did, he did it for me. He died for my sins, was buried, and rose again. And, and Jesus, I want to follow you. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not, it doesn't mean coming to, you know, being in church. It's, it's a relationship with God the Father through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son. You know, I mentioned a moment ago that we find only four hallelujahs in the New Testament. What's striking to me is that those four aren't spread out in the New Testament. Those four all find their way to Revelation 19, one through six. It's like they're concentrated right there in Revelation 19. Why? Well, well, well the why, we've got to go outside of that to the context and go, well, it's, well what's the book of Revelation about? Right, if we're going to understand why are they in those verses. And, you know, I, I don't have time to unpack all that by, by any means, but we can summarize the book of Revelation in a few very brief statements. I'll give you some. If when you think of the book of Revelation, think of this word, triumph. Triumph. That's what it's about. It's about the triumph of Christ in all things. You think about the book of Revelation, you can, you can, you can get it this way. What's the message of the book of Revelation? Jesus wins. That's the message. That's the message. You can can say it this way. The book of Revelation, God is saying it's going to be okay because in the end, all is set right. Death is destroyed. Illness, sickness, immorality, uh, injustice, all of that is destroyed. And those who are in Christ rule and reign with him forever. This is all good news. The book of Revelation, triumphant in Christ. And so you go to, book, go to Revelation 19, and here we find that Babylon is destroyed. And I want you to know Babylon, yes, it's a city, it's a place, but in the Bible, all, you know, the devil and his friends, immorality, evil, injustice, all death and sickness, all wrong, all that's wrapped up in this, this thing the Bible calls Babylon. So Revelation 19, Babylon is crushed, destroyed. 
as God sets all things right once again in Christ Jesus. And so Revelation 19, one, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud, be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Revelation 19, three to four, once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever, smoke from Babylon. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And then the final hallelujah in the Bible, Revelation 19, six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. He's hearing these voices that, that's just this multitude. And may I say to you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's your voice. See, this is to come. And those who are in Christ, John's seeing any who've placed their faith in Christ singing and shouting this. And it sound, it's, it's so loud, the cacophony. You know, it's just, it's just going. And so John says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, you're never gonna believe this. Hallelujah, you know, it's just hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Wow, that final hallelujah, next verse, within that, that final hallelujah is packed right within the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, the marriage supper, well, it's, it's that picture of, of our, when God wanted to show us a picture of what our future is for those who are in Christ Jesus, you know, he's got to choose human things that we can understand. And so he chose the wedding feast of the lamb. This is, you know, the bounty of a feast, the joy of a wedding. Throughout the scripture, God's relationship with his people, you know, it, it's, we get to the New Testament where it's more clearly defined that Jesus is the bridegroom and all who put their faith in Christ, we are the body of Christ, but we are called the bride of Christ. Don't, and don't get sexual or weird on this at all. It's that picture of, of intimacy that we can hardly comprehend that we will experience forever and ever and ever with the Lord Jesus. And it all kicks off at a party, at a wedding at the feast, the abundance of the feast, and all that a feast like that would entail. Hallelujah, you know, that's what comes out of those at the feast. So every genuine hallelujah, okay, is living in the reality of the heavenly celebration that is to come. You can hallelujah because you know you're there. You, you know you're there because you're in Christ tasting the goodness that will be and it will never end. I'm gonna invite the band to come back out for we have an opportunity as we conclude to, you know, understanding this word maybe more fully. May we come back to it and forever come to it, understanding it within the context that God has revealed it. Um, this, this last October, I know this year has been hard for, for so many and then I think most would say it's been super hard, but then there's these, been these moments of real joy, right? Well, you know, the Shadrach family had one, and I've, talked to, I've mentioned this to you guys. Um, on October 17th, you know, our oldest child, Darden, he, he married Jordan Smalling, the love of his life. 
And I have said to many that those two days, the rehearsal dinner, the wedding, are two, two of the happiest days of, of our lives. And uh, I, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about because I'm so happy. You know, I, I cry every time I think about them. But they, Darden's hallelujah, great joy, he couldn't keep it in. And so all wedding day, every time he sees Jordan, he's, he cries. You know, it just leaks out his great love for her and the great goodness of God in their lives. So, so I have officiated many weddings, some of yours, uh, some of your children's weddings. I have been to many weddings, as many as you, of you have. And so at all those weddings, um, my wife, Lisa, she loves to dance. And so we go to the reception and it's, come on, let's go dance, let's go dance. I mean, they're playing September. I mean, that's the one you get you going, right? <laughs> every, every, every reception. And, and, uh, and I'm like, oh no, go dance with your friends. So she'll just run out there and dance with her girlfriends. And, you know, they're, and, um, and I said, honey, I, I promise you, I, I know I'm not dancing. You know, why don't I go out there and dance? And I know some of you guys in here are the same way. You kind of stand around, we all stand around the side of the dance floor. You know, we don't have this. It could be, you know, I, I can hardly dance, but we don't. Uh, you know, why I don't? Because I'm so self-conscious. I just feel awkward, you know, just you feel awkward, self-conscious. But I said, honey, I will dance at our kid's wedding. And um, so, darn joy, get married. We're at the reception. Good news is they served alcohol because that always helps. <laughs> And I, you know, at, at their wedding. And so there's some truth in that, you know, you enjoy the fruit of the vine. It, and so I, I, and I, and I, you know, I, I, it's got to take the edge off, you know, before you get out there. But I'm telling you, I already told you the day was pure, pure joy. So we go out and y'all, I'm, I'm just losing it, man. I am losing my mind. And I'm, I'm just, you, I don't even know if you call it dancing, you know, it's just, you know, we're just dancing. We're just, and, and the, and the, the bridal party's around us and I've got this video of us and the music's and we're just jumping in the, and they're going, Lloyd, Lisa, Lloyd. And when they, when, they, when they shout my name, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, just on and on and on. And I'm gonna tell you, why would I make a fool of myself, so to speak? Well, because... My self-consciousness was crushed by the weight of my gratitude. Man, my happiness was way bigger than my self-consciousness that day. And it was, it was my son's wedding. What about, what about it? Jesus? You know, how about greatness in that? Such that our self-consciousness is crushed. And we hallelujah like like crazy people, like we're out of our mind. David lost his mind and his wife chided him and said, you made a fool of yourself in front of all of Israel. And he said, you betcha. And I'm gonna do it again. Let's stand together. On Monday, I had the great privilege of doing a baptism over here in the Learning Center. You know, we always put that horse trough out and put water in it and throw people down. Um, is, I don't know that there's a better picture, is there, of, of from death to life, that visual of Jesus saves us. And that's what baptism is. It's the, express, it's the, it's the outward expression. Hey, look at Jesus, because he saved me. I was dead. 
he rose and I rose with him and I will live forever with him. So the baptisms are amazing. Well, I did one for Caleb, um, 22 year old young man, Caleb. And uh, it was a great story. You know, there's a small group of us in the learning center and I asked him about when he came to faith. He said, well, you know, I was five or six years old. I remember my mom and dad talking to me and I said, man, that's so neat. And I said, now you're 22 now. Tell me about, you know, you're, now you're being baptized. He said, he said, yeah, he goes, I, I just wanted to make sure. And, so, and you know, it's good. He said, I just, and I said, well, this is your time, you know, to be baptized. And so he, um, he said, yeah, mom, dad, talk to me. And I said, and I, I, I pressed him a little because I had time. You know, it's just a small group of us on a Monday morning. And I said, Caleb, what'd you say? You know I mean? So you, he goes, well, I had, I was thinking, I knew what I want to do, but I, so I went to my room where I could be alone and I, I was just in my room and I said, and what did you say? I was curious, like what, how did you trust Jesus? What did you say? And, and he said, well, I, I didn't know how to say it, so I sang it. <laughs> and I went, so you sang that you're trusting Jesus and I'm about losing it then, you know, and, he said, yeah. And then I went, oh my gosh. Because sometimes we, you know, not for everyone, but you know, sometimes the words, you know, I could say to you, hallelujah. I could say the word 10 times. But sometimes there's a song that it needs to be, it needs to be sung because when we sing it in God's design, it comes from a deeper place. And so we celebrate this Easter, our hallelujahs. We're not just saying it. May we sing it.